Check, check. Those of you who got here early had the opportunity to, uh, to tweet hashtag music tech PR. And so uh, <laughs> I, get a, I guess I'm going to just, I, I got a couple tweets here, and I'm just going to pick the first one that came in. Danny Anders, getting my learn on with music tech PR at SF Music Tech. So Danny, I'm going to give you a copy of uh, Made to Stick by Chip Heath and Dan Heath. It's one of my favorite marketing books. I have never found a PR book that I like, but there's marketing books that, are really useful, like there's a, a general kind of um, uh, philosophy stuff that I find really useful. This is a spin-off of uh, Malcolm Gladwell's Tipping Point. One of the things he talks about is stickiness. And these guys basically took a single point from Malcolm Gladwell and wrote a great book, Made to Stick, Why Some Ideas Survive and Others Die. And they use the words success minus the last S. And each letter stands for something like stories, unexpected, concrete, um, I can't remember what all of them are. The book's here. Danny's going to read it, so get his contact info, and he'll send you a report or check his blog. A round of applause for Danny Anders, our first winner! <laughs> so you're at the Rockier Music Tech PR uh, session here at SF Music Tech 2015. And uh, I'm Dimitri Vitz with Rock, Paper, Scissors. We are a music and technology PR firm. Um, this is me at South by Southwest. Does anyone know the guy in the hat there? That's Bob Boylan. You might have heard him on NPR, All Songs Considered, um, All Things Considered. He used to be the director on All Things Considered, does a lot with NPR music. That's a session that I did at South by Southwest with Bob and somebody from Morning Edition, from some, somebody from All Things Considered. Um, and uh, you can read all about it on Digital Music News. I got a review of my own panel because I'm a publicist, right? Ari Herstand, if you guys have read Ari's take, he did something on Digital Music News. So um, that's what I do, you know? You mix everything together. You keep thinking about the PR opportunities with the other opportunities, and we'll talk about the seamlessness of, um, of PR with other types of marketing and branding and so forth. Um, if you're just getting here, I'm Dimitri Vitsa, Rock, Paper, Scissors. These are some of my clients. And last night when I was at some of the pre-conference events, the, uh, the receptions and so forth, Two separate people said to me, wow, you're really good at pitching my product. You're really good at, you know, I do, you know, I introduce people, right? That's what you do these conferences. I'm like, you should meet so-and-so. They do this. You should meet so-and-so. They do this. And they're both like, wow, I couldn't have said it better. So I'm going to show you what that means. Some of you may have heard of CD Baby from the past. We do all of their corporate PR. We also just organized their DIY musician conference, attracted 1,200 people to Chicago just a couple of weeks ago. CD Baby, you might know, is a CD distributor from the old days, the first company to help independent artists sell music online. But they're actually a dashboard to get your music everywhere. So they now do digital, they do streaming, they work with Rumblefish to help with online sync and monetization through YouTube and other online video platforms. They work with, uh, they do publishing administration now as well. So they're trying to figure out all the ways to help those independent artists who don't necessarily have a team or an infrastructure do stuff. And we're helping them get the message out so that people don't think they only sell CDs. <laughs> they do have a big warehouse and they still sell a lot of CDs and a lot of vinyl, but that's not all they do. Um, Lyric Fine, one of the sponsors here at SF Music Tech, they are the world leader in legal license, um, uh, legal lyric licensing. So if you see legal websites that have lyrics or apps, streaming apps or tech, you know, hardware that has lyrics that show up as part of their streaming platforms, Lyric Find is probably uh, powering the legal monetization of lyrics. We just uh, did a um, comic book. A lyric comic book that tells the history of lyrics going back thousands of years and how Lyric Find has been a part of 
helping create a new revenue stream. They're another client of ours. Rumblefish uh, is here doing a panel as well. They do online video sync um, and licensing for both YouTube, but also any type of video apps and, and music. So we work with them. So you can see a lot of our client base is, is uh, what you would call B2B, business to business, uh, in the music space. We also work with AccuRadio, which is a consumer-facing internet radio, kind of like a Pandora, but they actually experienced 22% growth the first six months of this year, growing. They have a very interesting demographic, desktop users at work, and lots of genres that are not so edgy and hip, hipster and cutting edge. It's just a lot of America likes music, right? And they don't necessarily need to hear EDM or indie rock, right? So. Um, Gig Salad is uh, roaming around here. Mark Steiner, the CEO, uh, that's a platform that connects event planners, non-traditional event planners, with um, performers of all types. A lot of musicians, but also balloon twisters and fire eaters and hula hoopers and all sorts of stuff. So they do a lot of wedding and birthday. Uh, Project Music and 2112, Project Music's in Nashville. They're an accelerator. They actually just closed an application where you can get $30,000 in seed money and venture pitching and all that kind of stuff. So check them out for next year. And 2112 is a kind of a co-working space with mentoring and training up in Chicago. Um, anyway, I'm not going to go on and on, but uh, just want to give you a sense of what I do. So uh, one of the, oh, that's what the C is in that book that Danny has, uh, Credibility. That's an important piece of your story to, to get ideas to stick. People have to think you're credible. So this is the credible portion of it. I'm not going to do a whole sales pitch. Don't worry. This is it. The rest is my goal is to give you as much information as possible so you can go out and do your thing. And then when you get so big and it's too, you're too busy to do anything else, you can come talk to us. You can delegate to us some PR stuff, right? Um, so I'm going to start up high level. Above publicity is PR. Above PR is branding. And I like to think about this as you've got a little billboard in the heads of all your potential clients, customers, partners. What do you want that billboard to say? That's your brand. A brand is an identity. Like when you think about branding, you're like, oh, I got to get a logo. I got to get a website. You know, I got to think about how to talk about it. It's really your identity. It could be your personal or professional identity as an individual, or it could be your company brand or identity as well. But I like to, like to step back before we get into PR to think about it. it's part of this larger process of creating uh, this sense that you can influence. I wouldn't say control. You can influence what is that billboard? What are they saying about your company in their head? And if they've never heard of you, the billboard's blank or it's occupied by a different advertiser, right? But if you do various things, PR and publicity is, are, are some of them. There's lots of other things. There's AdWords, search engine marketing, search engine optimization, you know, event planning, all sorts of things you can do to occupy that space on the billboard. But what do you want the billboard to say? What do you want people to feel when they, th when they hear the name of your company, when they hear it repeated a second and third time? Are you with me? See what I'm saying? Just like that kind of metaphorical big picture stuff. So... Publicity versus PR. So I called this session uh, Music Tech PR, but if you want to get technical, it's actually Music Tech Publicity because we focus on the press side of things. We, but we try to do it in a seamless way with other aspects of PR and marketing as well. Um, technically, PR is anything you're doing to communicate and create a message out to the world. So when we talked about branding, it's kind of the communication portion of it. You know, it could be like crisis control on social media. That's part of PR as well. 
um, or customer service on the phone, you know, and what, what, what goes on there. It's technically sales or support, but there's a PR component. Publicity is technically more the press side of that. How can you work and partner with the press to get the message out the way you want it, that branding that we were talking about. So most of what we do at Rock, Paper, Scissors, and usually when you hire a publicist, that's what they're focused on is how to work with the press. Um, and so I'm just giving you some context here. For example, there was an artist named Perrin Lamb, uh, who's a CD Baby artist, who uh, an another artist he works with came to us and said, hey, this guy Perrin just got his song put onto a Spotify indie coffeehouse playlist, and he's making $50,000 off of one song on Spotify alone in less than a year. And so you hear all these people talking about these pennies, these fractions of pennies that everyone's getting paid for the streaming service. Well, this guy who brought it to us, Josh Collum in, in New York, I mean, sorry, in Nashville, um, said, you know, I think that there's decisions being made right now for the former generation of the music industry. Nobody's telling the story of the new generation, the artists that are actually learning how to work with the Spotify's and the YouTube's of the world. So all of a sudden we have a cool press angle and really what the story was, he never did a record label deal. He never signed away his publishing, so almost all the money that comes in from Spotify goes directly to this artist's bank account. So that's part of the story. When you hear a major label artist saying, I'm not getting paid anything from Spotify, well, how was that advance? Have you spent all that money? <laughs> Did you invest it? What'd you do? Now, I'm not saying that Spotify or the other streaming services, the, the right amount of money is being paid per stream or per thousand streams or listens or whatever you want to call it. I'm just saying this was a cool news angle that wasn't being told and uh, the New York Times is what I'm talking about. When I'm talking about publicity, I'm talking about the New York Times. I'm talking about Billboard. Lyric Fine, one of our clients, did the world debut of a lyrics chart on Billboard and that one's more of a partnership. I still think of it as publicity, but hey, they're actually going to every, every issue publish a lyric chart. That's pretty cool. That's a great way to work with the press and I've seen other companies, if you can come up with something like that, that's like almost not guaranteed, but almost guaranteed press every, every week, every month, depending how often the publication comes out. So Billboard is another example of publicity. NPR, all things considered. We got Rumblefish on NPR about another story about an artist who made over $100,000 through online video sync. This is not like Hollywood sync placement. This isn't like Grey's Anatomy or Weeds or Entourage or things like that. This is like his, see you guys, uh, this, this is, uh, this is, um, they got a meeting to go to, we talked about it. I gave them an excuse, they have a note, it's okay. Um, this is like, not just YouTube, although it is YouTube, but it's these apps where you can make wedding videos and then add a video to it, and then the creator of the, I'm sorry, add a, a song to it, and then the creator gets money from those licenses, and then they also put those videos, those wedding videos and other types of videos up on YouTube, and uh, then they make more money. So there's, anyway, again, we're telling a business story to the press, and so it's not just TechCrunch, it's not just blogs, it's not just the New York Times, it's also national public radio. This guy, Josh Collum, I was telling you about in Nashville, he was gonna write a blog post about that Spotify artist I was telling you about, and I was like, no, 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 wait, don't post it yet. Let's see if we can get it into a media outlet first. So rather than putting onto a blog, we pitched Music Business Worldwide, which is a relatively new, very good online music business publication out of the UK, but covers worldwide, obviously, and we got them to run it as an op-ed. So those are other, you can pitch journalist stories, you can do partnerships with press, and you can also pitch these kind of editorial things. So. I just wanted you to have a sense of, when I talk about music tech, PR, and publicity, this is the kind of stuff that I'm talking about. And these, this is just kind of a random assortment of some of our go-to people who we try to talk to. So you got me, you understand what I'm talking about with music tech, PR, publicity. I use them interchangeably, uh, but I gave you the definition before. PR is broader, publicity is more specific.
I see lots of pictures, so I'm gonna let you take that. <laughs> um, I mean, by the way, since you're taking pictures, there's no magic to this. There is no like ideal perfect list out there in the world. Obviously, we've got four publicists who are constantly calling and emailing the press, so we have a pretty good sense of what's going on. But uh, think about who, who you're trying to target. If it's investors, what do investors read? If it's uh, consumer-facing apps, where do people find those apps, right? If it's uh, B2B within the music business, where are the professionals in the music industry that you want to target? Think about that. Ask around when you come to a conference like this. Hey, what, what blogs do you read? What websites do you read? What newspapers do you read? And that's how you start to generate the list. There's no perfect list. And it's different for each of you or it's even different for each pitch that you're going to do. I have no idea what time it is. Let's see. All right. Um, all right. So we covered what is PR, right? I have something called the PR model. You guys have some handouts that are related to the PR model I'm gonna go over. I have a lot of information to tell you. I'm willing to share this information with you. I talk fast. I grew up in New York City. Slow me down or raise your hand if, if I go too fast or if you didn't understand something I said. I'm totally cool with that, okay? Will you do that for me? Yes, yes, okay. Um, the PR model is the steps that it takes to get PR. This is me sharing what I've learned. By the way, before I started my PR firm, I never worked for a PR firm. I made all this shit up, <laughs> but don't tell anybody. But that's the thing, this stuff is accessible. You, can, you, you learn by doing it, right? So don't be intimidated. Well, I'm sorry, what's your name? The guy with the texting right there? Tommy. Tommy. At the very beginning of the session, Tommy said, I'm here because I, you know, I haven't gotten my funding yet and it feels like you have to be backed by somebody big to get press. It's not true. People might make you think that, but it's not actually true. And you know who's really making you think it? It's your own billboards in your head, right? So it's like, oh, wait a minute, I gotta change those billboards. I gotta, I gotta get some billboards in that are like, I can do this. I don't have to be somebody big. Quirky little cool stories or innovative entrepreneurs, great fodder for the press. So I'm gonna work on that, all right, Tommy? Um, so the PR model, I'll, talk, I'll, t I'll tell you what I made up and then trained eight other people to do in our, in our firm. And then we'll get a little more deep into typical pitch topics because I think that's where people sometimes get hung up as well. What is the process and the logistics? But also like, okay, what are the stories that are going to be most compelling? How am I going to get press traction with, uh, with different ideas? So we'll talk about that a little bit. And if we have time, we'll do beyond the basics. If you guys want to take it from 101 to the next college course, we can, we can go there if you want. Or we can just skip that and stick with some Q&A. I want to try to leave 10, 15 minutes of Q&A at the end as well. All right? Whoop, 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 whoop. Giveaway time, giveaway time, giveaway time. Those of you who showed up earlier know that I'm giving away books. That's right. Uh, where's the hat? Where's the hat? Who's got my railroad hat? All right. Who didn't get to put their card in this railroad hat yet? Here you go. Pass that around, please. Um, but at the end of the session, we're going to draw a name from the hat as a, give, as a giveaway. But right now, I'm going to give you an opportunity to give a book away. So you have to give to get. That's something you should know about the press. It's not just about me, 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 me. Talk to me, talk to me. Write about me, write about me. I want it, I want it, I want it, I want it. You got to give something. There's got to be a relationship there, a conversation and so forth. So I'm going to give something to get, but I'm going to let you give something to get. Who wants to give somebody a book? Oh, he, look at that. This dude wants to give something away. Stand up. What's your name? Devo. What do you do? I, uh, I'm a product designer and I own a label. Awesome. Well, thanks, Devo. That, Devo, that's awesome. I used to listen to Devo. Uh, how many of you have heard of Tribes by Seth Godin? Oh, yeah. Have you read it? 
Yeah. Tribes, we need you to lead us. This is about, you don't go out there trying to, it's, it's actually related to what we're talking about. It's not about me, 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 me. It's about what Brian Zisk did with San Francisco Music Tech. He found there was this interest, this need, this desire, and he just stepped into it and he became a leader of an existing tribe. And then more people are like, wait, that's my tribe. I want to join that tribe. And we don't all have one tribe. We all have different tribes. We have overlapping tribes. But that's what Seth Godin, a great marketing mind, uh, is all about. And what I'd like you to do is give this book to somebody in the room. Do you know people in this room? Are you going to give it out at random or what? No, no one. <laughs> all right. So who are you going to give it to? Uh, I'm going to do this. He got a book. <laughs> he got one. You, you must have some powerful, this, this dude has some powerful magnification. Yeah, if you want to. All right, there you go. Yeah, he's saying Purple Cow's another great book. Round of applause for the giver and the getter. We'll do some more of that. We'll draw, we'll draw the hat at the very end. That way you have to stick around if you want the books. Nice work, Devo. You're really generous, you know that? And fast. Got a fast hand as well. Oh, all right, where are we? Clicker. Okay, now back to the serious part here, the PR model. Again, lots of information. Get out your pens or your tweeters or whatever it is you use to keep notes. Um, I'm gonna go through this kind of twice. Once showing you what are the phases of the PR model, and then again to talk about timeframes, and then we're gonna get into the pitch topics. First of all, you have to have a story idea, right? I, I use the word story, I use the word pitch, different things like that, but it's basically, what is the angle that you're going to give to the journalists or to the press? What, what are they going to be interested? What do you want the story to be about? You can't just say, write a story about me, right? Don't, not just write a story about my company. It's like, well, what is the story? And we'll talk about that when we get to pitch topics. Then how do you craft the story? What is the messaging? What are the, the language, the timbre, the tone that you're going to use to communicate that story? Then there's the pitch. So I differentiate between the general message and what, what's the one sentence or the one paragraph that you're going to use with that specific journalist as well? Because we write a general press release. It's kind of like the formal asset that you can get everything you need for the info. But even before that, you want to say something to the journalist to get them interested enough to click through, to either open the attachment or click through on the link or read the rest of your email or have a longer phone call with you. So the pitch is an important part where you get even crystallized even more. So there's kind of this funneling process. You have this big story idea. You have the messaging, the specific words that you're going to use, and then like the actual pitch. The question was, are you pitching it to them as a story or are you just selling the story? Oh, you mean like a finished written document or? Well, I mean, are you trying to, you know, pitch them an idea for them to write a story or are you handing them a story already done hoping that they'll kind of incorporate that? We, yeah, we do both. Um, and we can talk more about that a little bit later in the session. But we, we do both. It just depends. Uh, typically, what we do is we write a story as we see it. And then we, sometimes we pitch it somewhat vaguely to the journalist first to see what their level of interest is in it. And if they want more information, then we give them the full story. Sometimes there are some journalists who specifically want to write their own angle. Like they almost feel like if you give them too much, then there's nothing for them to do. But even if what we say is, well, but we haven't given it to anyone else yet. So it's still yours. Nobody's going to know where the story came from. So you, you try a variety of things, actually. But the truth is, with the way journalism cuts have been going, it's not a bad idea to make it really easy for journalists. Now, there are very few outlets that will run something rote, you know, whatever it is that you have there, 
But there are some, and there's also paid positioning for that kind of stuff, which is not something that I get involved with. Um, to me, that's just an advertisement hiding as something else. But anyway. Um, oh, so the press release. The, the, the press release is like the formal written piece. We don't use press release protocol. There is nothing, there's no format required. You know, it's good to spell things correctly and to use proper grammar. It's good not to make it too, too long. But what's more important to us is that you engage people in your writing um, or in whatever, I mean, it doesn't even have to be writing. It could be an infographic, it could be a photo, what, you know, whatever it is. So don't get hung up on, does it have to say for immediate release or immediate release on some place or uh, on some date or that the contact info has to be in a specific place. None of that stuff matters. If you have a good story, Journalists are going to be interested because it's a good story, not because you figured out a template for a press release. You don't want to be a template. You want to stand out. You want to be unique. Online press kit, basically it's good to have stuff online so people can get more information. Um, we, our website is basically a bunch of online press kits. They're like portfolios for our clients. It has the press releases. It has the bios. It has press clippings and so forth. If you're not going to hire a publicist, it's good to at least have a blog where you're going to post some of this kind of stuff. You may not post it publicly before you give the press a chance to post it, but it's good to have even a private website somewhere. Uh, not like it needs to be password protected, but just like a, you know, a hidden link or so something like that where people can get the high-res photo, the logo, um, the background, all that kind of stuff. Then there's the media targets. We talked a little bit about that. Um, that's part of the model. Outreach, so you might think that you just send out a press release and then wait. That's not really how most PR works. It's really about multiple iterations of contact, sometimes with the same story angle three, four, five times before you give up on that and move on to the next story angle. So there's a whole component to outreach we'll talk about. And part of that is, are you going to send out a massive e-blast to your whole press list? Or are you going to send out uh, individual emails? Or you can do both. And which order are you going to do it? You're going to do the big e-blast and then follow it up with personal outreach? Or are you going to do the personal outreach to some key outlets and then afterwards do a, a big e-blast? There's no rules about any of that stuff. So you try different things um, and see what works. Um, but we can get into more of that in the Q&A as well. Reports. If you're doing publicity yourself, obviously there's, um, you're not going to send reports to yourself, right? Although you, I don't know, if you're really organized, you might hold yourself accountable by documenting like a diary of what you've done and where you've been successful. It is good to keep notes about all your conversations with the press, both for historical reasons and for um, a week later <laughs> to be like, wait, was that the dude who was going on vacation or was that the dude who broke his leg? Um, so, but if you're working with a, a, a publicist or if you have an in-house publicist, it's good to have reports. And if you're hiring a publicist for the first time, it's good to ask them to see a sample report, how frequently you can expect reports, things like that. Um, and then press clips. You can use Google News Alerts. That's a great way to keep track of most articles. We use Burrell's Loose, which is a $300 a month plus $3 a page press clipping service where we get back a PDF of every article that mentions one of our clients. Um, that's kind of the high end of how you do stuff. If you work with a PR firm and they have a press clipping service, they'll probably ask you to cost share some of that. Um, and so anyway, that's the PR model. Makes sense. This is just, these are the steps. Got it? Any questions about that so far? All right, I see some pictures. I'll give you a minute. All right, timing of the PR model. I want to tell you a story. A few years ago, an NPR director, from all things considered, came to my town, Bloomington, Indiana, to learn Mongolian. 
Because if you want to learn Mongolian, where do you go? You go to Indiana, right? He was uh, setting up a radio station, doing like a sabbatical, setting up a radio station in Mongolia. And uh, he happened to be an amateur pilot. And he's like, I'm going flying. You want to come fly with me? I'm like, all right, sure. I don't know if you've ever been in a two-seat airplane, but it's kind of like being in a motor on the back of a motorcycle in the sky. <laughs> I mean, it's, there's obviously, there's a, there's, a, there's a roof and stuff. You're enclosed. But it feels like you're really close to the outside. Uh, so while we're flying, he told me um, that pilots have a saying. The runway behind you and the sky above you can't help you. Now, if that doesn't make any sense to you, it didn't make any sense to me either. But he said, a lot of times people, especially amateur pilots, they, you know, once you get pretty good at it, you can take off from the middle of the runway. So your plane's parked in the middle of the runway. You got plenty of room. So just go. You're ready to go. Go. That's not a very good idea because if something comes up, you have half as much runway. Literal, you guys are in startups. You probably know a lot about runways, right? People talk about runways as it relates to funding and running out of money and stuff, right? But in press, there's also a runway. If you start at the very end of the runway, you have more time to pivot in case something comes up. If your top five targets say no, you got to figure out, oh, maybe I need to tweak the message a little bit for my next five targets. So, and the same thing with the sky, right? You always, I always assume that... Uh, the, the, the closer you are to the ground, the safer you are. Because you feel like, well, if I'm on the ground, I'm really safe, right? So if I'm only 10 feet up, I'm, I'm pretty safe. If I'm 100 feet up, I must be safer than if I was at that. Well, no, the truth is, the higher up you are, the more time you have if something comes up. So it's the same concept. Uh, you need enough time to find that extra space. You were planning on going here, and the winds changed, so you're going to land somewhere. You better be high up. So one of the biggest flaws in PR, probably the absolute biggest flaw in PR, besides being an asshole, is uh, not having enough runway. All right? So we're going to go through the steps one more time, and then I'm going to put dates on it so you can understand what I'm talking about with runway. First, you're going to make your PR plan. It could be your own or hiring a publicist. Then if you're using a, somebody outside to write, they're going to interview you for the story idea and write the press release. If it's yourself, you might interview yourself. I don't know. You might, you know, you, there's a process in writing. Don't forget to start your online press kit. Notice the ones in bold are the ones that you actually need to put on a calendar. The ones that are not in bold are kind of you fit in in between. Write your draft. Develop your media targets. You're seeing stuff that we've talked about, but now I'm getting it into a time frame for you. Get your draft approved. Starting your press release is one thing, but getting it done is the most important aspect of it because it can get held up in approvals or partnership approvals or not getting enough information or infinite endless edits of perfectionism. So finalize your target contact list and then start your outreach. Notice I say start your outreach, not do your outreach because we actually do six weeks of outreach whenever possible. So that's the, t the kind of time frame we're getting to. We had the conversation. You might do an e-blast first. You might do personal emails and vice versa. Decide are you going to try to give somebody an exclusive story, which we'll talk about later in the session, or try to get broad coverage? Are you trying to get as many people to write about this as possible? Is it the kind of story that a lot of people are going to cover? Or is it actually the kind of story that's so good that you could get your absolute top hit, and that would be more important and drive everything else? So we'll talk about that too. Your outreach continues. So you're continuing every week. You're following up with people. You're adding a few more journalists, changing the pitch angle a little bit, and so forth. Then if you start to get traction, you're going to schedule interviews. Journalists are going to ask for photos or logos. Sometimes they might say, I need to talk to a third party, somebody outside of your company who can give me contacts. Do you know any analysts or educators or researchers or colleagues or competitors who we could talk to? And sometimes you can help get your coverage by helping the journalists do that kind of research. 
the weekly reports are a piece of it. We talked about that. And then the periodic strategy check-ins. If you've got enough runway and you're getting reports from whoever's doing the outreach or you're checking with yourself, you can say, what's working, what's not working, what can I change? You know, you can burn out your list of your top 20 or 50 journalists that you're going after and then add another list. Go to your next tier or pivot and do some, a slightly different story. And then you get your press coverage. And then you get your press clippings. All right, so there's gonna be more, so you can take a picture in a minute, but let's say, those are the steps, this is the timing. Let's say you wanted press coverage today, November 10th. When would you have to do this stuff? Start outreach back in September 28th. This is ideal, this is not, we'll talk about exceptions to the rule here. And also it's my rule and I made it up, so it could be wrong. If you're gonna start outreach on the 20th of September, a week before that, finish up your press release. A couple of weeks before that, start your press release. Give yourself time to actually do that. And then at least a week before that, possibly three to six months before that, make a plan, you know? Get, get started with, I'm gonna hire a publicist at this date. And, oops, sorry, we'll go back. Um, and so, so that's kind of the time frame. Uh, got your pictures? Because <laughs> um, I wanna show you what it looks like on a calendar as well. But, um, so, so the reason I'm showing you this is it's the runway. It's, the, it's, the, it's the having enough room for your plane to really get off the ground and also having enough room once your plane's off the ground to land it where you want it to land, all right? What's it look like on a calendar? So this is August through November. 12 weeks in advance you do your planning. Hey, Mike. Uh, nine weeks in advance is when you want to start that writing process, interviewing, and so forth. Seven weeks in advance is when you want to get that finalized, approved by you or approved by your partners or your clients, whoever else is involved. Six weeks in advance is when you want to do outreach so that the press hits today. Now, this is an ideal scenario. This is what you want to plan for. Now, sometimes there are news things that hit faster than all of a sudden a deal that you expected to come through three months from now comes through today or you're about to sign the contract. You can totally expedite the entire process but this is what you should try to do so that you have enough runway to pivot. And we've had stuff where within two or three days, we were able to go from a client saying, hey, I need coverage of this right away. Um, our CEO is stepping down and we need to announce it right away. But wait, not quite yet because we haven't told our staff yet. So it's like this hurry up and wait thing. And you know, we've turned around getting coverage on that in a couple of days. So all of this can be compressed. It's not fun when it's compressed. <laughs> um, but this is what you should sort of plan on unless there's an emergency. Obviously, if there's an emergency and you need to get your plane off the ground faster, then you're gonna have to just do it. But it's good to have several rounds of practice with this. Are you with me? Any questions about that stuff? Yes. Uh, how often do you wanna put this stuff out? I mean, do you wanna have just an iterative, constant flow of stuff coming out that you constantly can send out to people? Or do you wanna plan bigger campaigns less frequently? I say do both. Um, and what I mean by that is sometimes you wanna space things out and, and leave some air so that you can actually create some things, make some partnerships, get some traction and so forth. And, uh, uh, sorry, just doing a time check. Um, and, um, but sometimes you do kinda want a constant feed. The thing is, it's, it totally depends on what your product, feature, service, startup, company offering is. If you are a tiny little app with no traction and you're trying to constantly pitch the same press over and over with things that just aren't either relevant to what they're doing or aren't 
a strong enough story. They're just not newsy enough. You're just going to piss people off. So it's kind, there's kind of an art to it. Um, there aren't any exact right answers, but, um, but you know, try things out and occasionally push, lean forward a little bit, push, push a little bit more than you might be comfortable with, but always do it diplomatically. And if somebody says no, ask them why. Say, hey, look, I want to build a long-term relationship with you. I want to understand what it is that um, you know, doesn't feel good about this pitch. Um, but also read their stuff. If you're not reading journalist stuff, then you shouldn't be pitching them, right? So that's the first step. And that's something, if you're not even planning on doing PR right now, that's something you, can, you should start figuring out. What are your news feeds? How are you ingesting this information so you can become educated and see who's making a difference with all this stuff? Um, uh, all right. Did I answer your question? Yeah. All right. Uh, were there any other questions before we move into pitch topics? Actually, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do another giveaway. <laughs> because it's relevant to your question. He was asking, right? He was asking, do you do big stuff or do you do little stuff all the time as a constant feed? This is one of my favorite recent books. It's by Jason Miller. And uh, it's, um, Jason's the content uh, marketing VP or something like that at LinkedIn. And uh, you might have noticed if you use LinkedIn that they're starting to do more of this, this Pulse stuff where they're getting, it's almost like medium.com. They're really putting a lot of thought leadership out and articles and so forth. But he has some really good points in here. He it's called Welcome to the Funnel. Um, and this is, again, it's not a PR book. It's more of a mar content marketing and social media book. But I like, he talks about big rocks. Every three months or so, you should make a big rock. That's like an ebook or a video, some kind of, some, some piece of content that you're going to give away, possibly in exchange for emails or, or something like that. And then, you can take that big rock and then chunk it out into little blog posts that are pieces of the big rock. It doesn't necessarily have to be exact excerpts. Um, and, um, uh, uh, and then he also talks about, um, uh, what do you call it, the food groups. Like in social media, like on Mondays, you might do something informational. On Tuesdays, you might do something tactical. On Wednesdays, you might do blah, blah, blah. On Fridays, is a fun day. So do, do a contest or something fun. Just think in terms of food groups. It doesn't have to be those food groups, but when you think about social media, to try those different things. And then the other, uh, the other thing that he says that I like is, your blog is like a rug in a room. It ties everything together. So it's tying the big rocks with the little bitty pieces. So Danny, when you ask about like, should you do little constant drip of stuff or big stuff, you might be able to do them in synergy with each other. You know, like do something big and then, or lead up to something big. I mean, Seth Godin, whose book Devo gave away to somebody over there, uh, uh, he, he's a blogger. He writes blogs and then he takes all his blog posts and makes it into a book and sells the book. That's pretty, I mean, you could probably read pretty much everything that's in that book on his, by the way, on his blog. Uh, what's that? He his email every day. Right. And he emails that stuff out as well. So he's using, he's been using the big rock and then the, the, the blog that ties it all together and all that. he's not a big social media guy as much, I don't think, but he's too busy writing. But anyway, uh, how are we going to give this one? You know what? Let's draw, let's draw a name out of the hat. Don't you think we should do that? Let's do it. He left. Alex Tang. Yay, Alex. A round of applause for Alex. Welcome to the funnel, Alex. Thanks, man. Rock on. All right. Um, let's see. Time check. 1120. We've got 20 minutes. Um, I'm going to pick up the pace, believe it or not. You ready for this? Typical pitch topics. Can you do that with your leg? <laughs> we want some demonstrations. Launches. So when you launch your company, it's a great time to do press. In fact, some people say it's the best time to do press. You can't do it a second time, 
right? If you've launched, you can't launch again later, right? Unless you change your name and you pivot and blah, 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 but that's not as strong. Your launch usually focuses on your value proposition, the missing need or demand in the market, beta success stories, or at least marquee users. Hey, badass musician X is using our service. Uh, past successes of founders, oh, well, we've got the founder of Facebook um, running our company. <laughs> um, and it doesn't have to be that big, obviously. Investors or leaders of note, sometimes, you know, they're especially around here in the Silicon Valley, people really pay attention to that. Oh, they've got this guy involved. Obviously, he's going to hook them up or she's going to hook them up with all those possible contacts um, and all that information. Mean, by the way, that's something probably if you're new to this event or just starting up, and so you think about investors as being for money. A lot of times they're for other stuff too. And, and, and advice and networks and connections is a huge thing. They're like hubs of connections. So that's a great possible launch PR angle. Something quirky or unique. Uh, we can brainstorm some of that if you want later. But you know, things that stand out, things that are different are the stuff that um, is one of the things that you can use in a launch. The blank of blank, now it's not very popular now to be the Uber or the Airbnb of X, but what if you were, I don't know, the periscope of surgery? <laughs> you know, <laughs> something like that. Like, wow, you get that really quickly. The thing about the blank of blank is it gets you quickly into it. It just, you got to find the right balance and get feedback and see if it's actually going to work. Mind-blowing innovation. Obviously, if you've got something that really does shift how society is working, that's a great way to, to pitch your launch. Um, sorry, were you still taking pictures? You done? Okay, no more. Um, so, launches, any questions about launches? Has something to do PR around? All right. New features or solutions, this is basically uh, the same thing except for features. So, it's your value pro proposition on the feature, the marquee user of the feature, all that kind of stuff. Boom, 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 boom. Boom. So, because the, the, basically, you have your overall company. It's, it may be one basic feature that you have or one solution that you have, but then you start adding other things. You're like, oh, I need to add more value to get more users, or I got feedback from my users. If I add this one other feature, it's going to do more. And then you can use those. Every time you have a new feature, that's a, that's a good excuse to go to the press. Now, if, you're, if you've got a huge tech team or really soft product, like it's just like you're barely tweaking something, it's not that newsworthy, but... You know, you'll, you'll get a sense. You'll start to feel it when it's, when it's right. Um, benchmarks. So I'm just going to put this all up at once. But, you know, all this kind of stuff. Number of users or downloads, number of paying customers, number of visits, emails sent, purchases made, transactions. It depends what your model is, what you're doing, and stuff like that. So um, I like, uh, you know, if you're not comfortable sharing numbers, growth, month over month growth, or percentage of the market. You know, some of those types of things can, can be a way to share things without, um, without presenting too much uh, uh, revealing information. If you're the largest blank in the U.S. or in the world, the, or, the, or the fastest growing blank in the world, that's something you can say as well. So those are benchmarks. Those are more ideas for things that you can pitch to the press. You can also use infographics as well. That's, you know, this is where the, the PR and publicity bl bleeds and blends in with other types of marketing and so forth. And um, uh, infographics, obviously, they kind of had their heyday, but they're still, they're still valuable. Or other types of graphics, photos, videos, um, data uh, are other good ways to show benchmarks um, as well. The trick with infographics, there's two tricks with infographics. Do you actually have anything worth saying? Because no matter how pretty it is, if it just looks like a marketing piece with no actual data, it's not that useful. 
does it actually look good? So a lot of times people have one or the other piece of that equation, and uh, I think that's a CD Baby infographic, and I think we did get Billboard to run that, which is kind of pretty wild, really, because it's clearly branded as a CD Baby <laughs> infographic. But, um, but it, you know, they represent a lot of artists, and so you know, it's it's a way to show sort of what's going on in the independent artist uh, community with data. You can also tell success stories, uh, like the, the Perrin Lamb and Josh Collum stories that I was talking about earlier. Partnerships, if you start powering Facebook's X, and everyone's like, whoa, all of a sudden you're just, like you've came up with the perfect solution for some other major player. That is a very good opportunity to get some press, especially within the industry. But also, you know, it could be within uh, consumer-facing stuff as well. Um, if you have new hires, that's not usually going to be a big press story unless it's a major person, like a major veteran with huge, uh, like a huge track record. Or even opening up an office in a new city, you can sometimes get a little mention in a billboard roundtable or a hypebot piece. The content marketing, if you've got a new ebook or video, something like that, you can actually sometimes co-launch that with a media outlet as well. If you're doing an event, you're on a panel, it's an excuse. I mean, you're not gonna get major press coverage for that, but you might get a couple of blog mentions, get people out to your meetup or your performance that you're sponsoring or you know your, your launch event, things like that. Acquisitions, if you're buying someone or someone's buying you, that's obviously a good moment to do some press. Investment activities, obviously, I'm sure you've all read lots of stuff in TechCrunch and GigaOM and you know uh, Pando Daily about who's just raised another $5 million, that's an opportunity as well. I personally think it's important to say what the value proposition is, because I think there's becoming more and more burnout. There's so much investment activity that's happening that if all it is is money, it's kind of, that's not a very long story. It doesn't really build towards your brand. Um, any questions about all this, these pitch topics? I just wanted to give you a sense of like the wide variety of things that you can be drawn on. You with me, still following along? Okay. If you didn't put your card in this hat, we're gonna be giving away some books, and they're awesome books, so if you would pass, just hand it back and see if anyone needs to put their card in there. Um, all right, let's see. We have 12 minutes. Do you wanna hear more information? Or you wanna do the Q&A? More info? Raise your hand if you want more info. Raise your hand if you want Q&A. All right, we're gonna keep going, keep going. This is your choice. Just remember on the survey when it says, did he let you ask questions? You say, well, this guy, Danny, kept asking questions in the middle of the session and they were great questions. He won a book. He almost won too. Um, all right, beyond the basics, interviews. Obviously, thank you. Be ready for, uh, if you do get some interest from the press, somebody's gonna need to be interviewed. And um, uh, just think about what kind of what kind of questions are going to be asked of you, what kind of answers you want to be ready for. There are some interviewers out there in the business space who will try to push you to say things publicly that you don't really want public. So if you're the kind of person who just spills the beans, you want to have some kind of answer ready for that question. Um, and you can ask journalists what questions you're going to be asking me in advance, especially if it's going to be an audio or video type of interview. You can also say this is off the record um, at times, like if you don't want to be quoted as saying things. If you don't have a close relationship on the journalist, with the journalist, 
there's no guarantee that it's off the record just because you said it was off the record. So unless you're going to have them sign an NDA or something like that, I don't know. <laughs> but just be aware, interviews is something to think about. What, you know, what kind of questions am I willing to answer? Who on my team is the best spokesperson? Honestly, sometimes the founder or CEO is not the best spokesperson. Sometimes there's somebody who's the, the champion within the brand. The flip side of that is if you have an employee who's the champion of the brand and everybody gets to know them as the representative of your company, and then they go and get a job paying twice as much and they leave you behind, their fan base, their press readership is gonna go along with them. I'm sure some of you have seen this before. So you have to walk the right balance. I like the approach of building a team of champions within your company that, 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 uh, that have that brand ambassador role within the company so that if one leaves, you've got the, the balance. Exclusives, okay, I've mentioned this a couple times. What this means, is you're saying to a journalist or to a media outlet, I'm giving you this story first. You will be the exclusive news provider of this breaking news. 99% of the time, they won't give a shit because the news is not newsworthy enough to them. But in that 1% of the time when it is, you can create a really strong relationship with that media outlet by saying, I always come to you first. And actually, even if it's not that strong, like you don't think it's totally newsworthy, it can be a very useful tool for building a relationship with the journalist. Say, hey, this may not be for you, but I always come to you first. So anytime I have something, when I hit that right story, I'm gonna give it to you first. You're building a relationship. And even if they never respond to you, you can still plant that seed in your email. You can be like, hey, I know you didn't pick up on the last one, but I just wanna let you know, I'm always coming to you. So that's what an exclusive is. And they can be very tricky to pull off, especially if you're playing with a couple different media outlets and you sort of like one didn't answer. And so you go to your next target and then the first one says, actually, that is interesting. But then the second one is now pretty deep along. You got to figure out how to handle that, which brings us to embargoes. So in press, an embargo is when you tell the press, I need you to hold this story until this date. And they know what that means. The word embargo is a commonly used word, and that's what it means. It means we're holding it until a certain date. This news story is embargoed until this date. Now, technically, if you don't offer them an exclusive, but you do tell them it's embargoed, you can work with multiple outlets at the same time to try to get stuff to hit all at the same date. Don't try this on your first pitch, okay? Get, get your feet wet with doing some PR <laughs> because there's some nuances to this that take a little while to learn. And... Then the first time you do try exclusives or embargoes, um, do it with something that's not going to kill your company if it doesn't work out right. And maybe do it with some journalists that you don't want to burn bridges with the first time. I'm not trying to scare you, but there's some nuance involved and I don't want to like just hand out random information and the next thing I know you're like, Billboard said they never ever talked to me again because I screwed up an exclusive and an embargo. So, But I want you to know what they are so as you develop more capacity to do this stuff, you'll know what we're talking about. You'll know what other people are talking about. I don't get a lot into crisis management, but it's something to be aware of, especially if you're in the field of licensing and publishing music these days and all the shifts going on and how people are interpreting what's ethical and what's legal and all that kind of stuff. But you might be prepared for some crisis management for, for PR, which is, as you'll notice from a lot of the larger digital service providers, Silence is frequently <laughs> the most uh, well-used crisis management. It's like anything I say is going to be taken wrong. I'm just going to sit this one out. Uh, I'm in it for the long haul, and we'll post stuff on our blog, but we're not going to do any media.
but there's also stuff that you can do. By the way, keep an eye on the media outlets that you're pitching. There's certain media outlets that seem to thrive on crises and uh, their commenting communities thrive on crises and, and thrive on kind of dinging you. And if you're not prepared to, to, to wage the war in that way, don't even pitch them because there's a couple outlets out there where crisis management is all you'll be doing. Media preparation. Uh, you can, there are, there are companies and people who will train you. If you feel uncomfortable with doing interviews or being in front of cameras or being on the microphone, you can get training for it. So don't rule yourself out as a possibility for doing media. Just seek out someone who can help you get up to speed. It's just like acting lessons, you know? It's, it's, it's a skill that you can learn. It's an art as well, but if you're not a natural artist in media stuff, that doesn't mean that you can't get some skills that'll get you closer and more comfortable. I'll let you read this one. Love these guns, guys. <clears throat> anyway, it's kind of a joke. Um, when you have partners, like a customer or a client that you did some kind of deal with and you're going to go out together with a press release, there's a whole other art form to relationship building and collaboration as it relates to PR um, uh, when working with partners. And then one, one of the hardest things is to get a press release approved by two big companies. You know, go, f go through legal, go through marketing, go through press, the founder, the CEO, they all need to see it. And six months later, you're still thinking, I wonder if we're ever gonna get to say that amazing story that I know would get tons of coverage. So uh, just, just know that there's a whole other art to that. And be aware, when you're working with partners, it's good to voice what you want in a diplomatic way to voice the positioning of your company as it relates to these other partners. I don't know, some of you might be like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but it's just one of those heads ups. All right, we actually still have five minutes for questions. Yay, I didn't think I was gonna get through it all. And uh, there's some extracurricular stuff we could talk about too, but um, if you came in late, there's worksheets on uh, the chairs which will help you develop your PR plan. You'll see, Cheryl, will you stand up please? This is Cheryl Woodhouse Keys. She's my COO. So if I'm busy and you want to have a chat with somebody about PR strategy, or you can shoot her an email. Her cell phone number is on the bottom of this piece of paper if you want to try to meet up today or tomorrow. We've got a conference room tomorrow if you want to continue the conversation and so forth. But any questions about anything we covered? Yes. Sure. So we got a mic here. Cool. Uh, thanks. This is uh, really interesting, Dimitri. Um, my question is more sort of about the beginning of the presentation. We were kind of looking at some of those articles that, that you've been placing uh, that have been uh, successful. I noticed that a lot of them aren't really about the company. They're more about the artist uh, and how an artist is using the company. And uh, it, you know, if I'm reading that article, like as somebody who doesn't really know anything about this, right, uh, building a brand, I'm probably going to look up that artist, right? The story is about an artist that got 50,000 streams, not necessarily about like the distributor, not, not about like the, the, you know. So, so two part question. The first is, do you find it easier uh, to get, you know, press when you're telling a story about an artist that's using a platform versus a story about the platform itself? Because like, does anybody really care in the New York Times readership about like who the digital distributor was, you know what I mean? Uh, so is it easier to get those kinds of stories placed when it's about an artist? Uh, and then sort of like assuming that the answer to that is, is a general yes, uh, where do you see the value, right? Where's like the real tangible value for the company uh, if really we're, we're promoting artists rather than, rather than the company? Well, 
there's some things you didn't see in that in those slides. The New York Times article had a quote from the CEO of CD Baby, Tracy Maddox. Um, so it was totally contextualized in terms of I got to keep more of my money because I work with CD Baby. I haven't signed away my publishing. I haven't signed away my label stuff. So that's part of that one. The other one, um, Music Business Worldwide, was basically the same case study. This was actually, I screwed up, uh, I screwed up an exclusive sort of um, in that I had pitched it as an op-ed to Billboard. And then I was like, wait a second, I didn't, I didn't pitch it as an exclusive. And so then I got the New York Times involved, and uh, I was like, I, I, I never said it was an exclusive, so I felt, I told, I told everybody involved, I'm playing with fire a little bit, I could see where they might think that it was an exclusive. So the New York Times thing hit the day before the Billboard thing. It went online, it actually was in print the same day that Billboard was gonna run. The New York Times piece uh, hit the day before the Billboard piece was supposed to run, and the Billboard guy pulled it. And so then I just brought it to another outlet, Music Business Worldwide, um, which is better than what the artist would have had originally, which was just going to be on his local blog post and so forth. But that piece on Music Business Worldwide um, actually had a screenshot of the CD Baby dashboard. It was this big-ass graphic. So it, CD Baby was really well-placed, but the pitch was definitely not, hey, isn't CD Baby great? You guys should check out CD Baby. So and the other piece of it was, um, with the New York Times, it. It can be tough, like I've, I've pitched that writer many times on many different stories, and he frequently responds, I feel like I'm getting in the weeds. I'm getting into the weeds. If it's like all this publishing information or licensing stuff or so forth. But for the, so for the New York Times, that artist was the only way we were gonna get that story to happen. Now, the flip side is a year ago, we had another feature on CD Baby in the New York Times on the cover of the arts section. This was the, this was the second page of the business section, cover of the arts section. We pitched a writer on kind of the cultural phenomenon of CD Baby and how people haven't kept up with what they're doing and what they're doing nowadays. So it was more like what you would have wanted, like the company profile. You can't get that again a year later in the New York Times. In fact, I'm kind of surprised that they were even willing to put CD Baby. I mean, they're really, especially the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, they're really conscious about not over-promoting a company. So did I answer your question? You know, is it easier to place a story if it's about an artist than it's about a company? I think it depends. Like in your experience, do people care about music tech companies or do people care about artists more? Um, I think uh, I think that um, it depends on the outlet more than anything else. Um, you know, if it's a consumer-facing outlet, then it's going to have to be more artist-driven probably or culture-driven. And by culture, I mean like changes in society type things or, you know, kind of an example of an interesting phenomenon that's occurring and how the world around us is changing, that kind of culture. Um, so I don't, I don't know, man. You'll, if you, you keep asking me questions, you'll find that I don't have hard, fast rules. <laughs> there is no like, is it this or this? Is it this or this? It's like, well, sometimes it's this and sometimes it's that, or sometimes it's both. So I don't, unfortunately, I don't really have a good answer. Again, like my answer is keep trying things, you know, try different things. There, there isn't really a shortcut and there's no formula. It's more like, you kind of have to feel sort of, in this case, what's our best, I think that would be my, most, my biggest answer is, what is the possible story you have and what's the best way to tell it to different outlets? And you might tell it one way to one outlet. And like, so this idea, one of the, my ideas about CD Baby is they're this dashboard of multiple services. And for the New York Times, it made sense to have an artist focus. For someone else, like for Hypebot or Billboard, I might be able to do an infographic that tells that story in a different way, so. Other questions? Yes. Take the mic because they're recording. Sure. Thanks. Um, so if you are not a person with a relationship to these writers, how much is too much? Like how often can you send the same press release to somebody or how little is too little? 
Send the same press release to somebody once and once only. But that doesn't mean keep stop pitching them necessarily. It's just don't be like beating them over the head with the same thing. It's like, hey, I thought of a new angle to this and I just want to make sure, Sharon, I'm sure you're busy and you're pro I'm, I'm sure you got this, but if you didn't, let me know and I'll resend it. But there's another slightly different angle or, hey, I saw your story on such and such and it kind of ties into what I was talking about. I'm wondering if you'd be interested in doing a follow-up on this because of blah, blah, blah. So again, no hard, fast rules. It's more about building the relationship and having a conversation, thinking like a journalist to create those, um, those conversations so that when you have a story to pitch or when they're interested in one of your pitches, it's, it's based on a conversation and a relationship. Don't think of it as transactional, like I'm going to buy an ad and the ad's going to get placed except I'm not paying for the ad. Think of it in terms of this is a conversation and my best relationships with journalists are where they tell me what stories they're working on. And they're like, hey, what do you think of this idea? Or do you have anything that represents this? Or can you help me find such and such? And sometimes it's a client and sometimes it's not. It's the give to get uh, thing as well. You feel like they would be receptive to somebody who is not coming from a firm or doesn't have a relationship with them. Just some random person with a story or a... Well, I mean, sometimes, I mean, in fact, there are some journalists who hate to hear from publicists, or, or so they say at least. And... Uh, you know, they might, they, they might not want to hear from anybody. They might want to go, they want, might want to come to SF Music Tech and kind of source things themselves. Um, but there's, uh, again, you know, everyone's different. And so any given journalist is going to have a different reaction. I think the main thing is if you're diplomatic and if you're authentic and you have integrity, and, or maybe if they're a sleazeball and you're a sleazeball, maybe it would work out better. I don't, I don't really know. <laughs> so. Other questions? There's one in the back there. First of all, those are some awesome pants. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I'm really digging those pants. Not many people wear those pants, <laughs> and you wear them well. Thank you. Yeah, just had to say that. So this is all cool for companies, like startups that are doing things, and thank God we live in a city and a world where they're making a lot of amazing new innovations. But how about for artists um, semi-established? So um, one of the things that I do in PR is I try to make my message relevant to the target audience and uh, try to communicate clearly about what that message is. So since this is San Francisco Music Tech, I made this session specifically for Music Tech Startups, Music Tech PR, which is why I called it Workshop for Music Tech PR. That question's a whole other workshop. I did one just like it at the CD Baby DIY Musician Conference. Uh, and uh, I've got a book, an ebook that you can read about this at storyamp.com slash book. Storyamp's my startup. Go to storyamp.com slash book, and that's about artist PR. So if you're interested in that, check out that book. So, um, well, we have run out of time, but we still have two books to give away, and we're giving them away for people who put their business card in this hat. If you want to run up here and put your business card in here, you'll be eligible for not only another copy of one of my favorite marketing books, Made to Stick, but also, I told you Made to Stick, go ahead and throw it in the hat there. I told you Made to Stick is a spinoff of The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell. Well, Contagious is a spinoff of Made to Stick. These dudes are taking these ideas and then running with it. This is Contagious, Why Things Catch On by Jonah Berger. Anyone else putting their, hat, their name in the hat? Let's see, we're gonna do Contagious first. Oh, Mike King, do you have Contagious? You get made to stick. Mike King from Berkeley Online. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, 
Uh, better not put you back in the hat again. Let's see. Got another one coming. Let's see. Naveen Sean Sridhar. Are you here? <laughs> Got to be here to win. <laughs> Danielle Rudess. Hey, and you asked questions and stuff too. Good job. Make your stuff contagious. I'm Dimitri Vitsa. My company's Rock, Paper, Scissors. I'll stick around here for a few minutes. Cheryl's my COO. She's here right there. Wave your hand, Cheryl. Uh, her phone number is on the sheet, too, if you want to schedule a meeting with us later. We'll be around the hangout room after lunch. Thank you so much for coming. Give yourselves a round of applause for a great participation. Thank you, thank you.